Now, here I was, a Jewish kid growing up in Pikesville, trying to decide to be a police officer in Baltimore City, which mm -hmm. is where I said, if I want to be a police officer, I want to go to Baltimore City because that's where stuff happens. And if I really want to see what it's like to be a police officer, I need to be in the inner city of Baltimore. Well, let me tell you, everyone thought I was crazy. <laughs> everyone. <laughs> From Washington, D.C., this is The Tightrope. I'm your host, Dan Smolin. Few can tell a personal career story as dramatic and ever-changing as Michael Shockett. As an ambitious high school student from an affluent Baltimore suburb, Shockett became enthralled with television production and news reporting. And soon after college graduation, he became an on-air reporter for Baltimore's NBC affiliate. However, the excitement of on-air reporting turned to agitation. Shockett wanted to help people through his work, but he felt that the if-it-bleeds-it-leads stories that his bosses assigned him to cover wasn't the way. So at age 23, Shockett became a Baltimore City police officer, and that is only half of his amazing career story. In this first part of a two-part episode, we follow Shockett's unusual quest for spirituality and meaningful work, from being one of the youngest TV news reporters in a major market, to his sudden pivot to police work in one of America's most crime-ridden cities. We spoke with Michael Shockett in June 2018. So welcome to the tightrope, Cantor Michael Shockett. Tell us where you were raised and what your upbringing was like. Well, Dan, it's great to be with you. And I grew up in Baltimore, so I'm now in the Northern Virginia area, so I feel like I'm close to back home. But I grew up in Baltimore, very connected to my family. My dad was a physician in Baltimore. My mom was an interior designer, so I grew up with two professional, professionally trained parents, and both taught me about, you know, the importance of doing well and caring about people and letting me do what I wanted to do, which was really important. Uh, I actually thought I was going to be a doctor when I was a kid because I used to work at my dad's office in Upper Park Heights in Baltimore, and my first job ever was stamping his prescription pads, and he oh. paid me a nickel a pad for that. That was great. But I, was, uh, I always thought I wanted to be a doctor. But then once I got into high school and things like that, science was not my field, mm -hmm. and I didn't uh, do well in science. On the other hand, I did do well in kind of creative arts type areas. And there was a time when my dad was invited to be in this television production up in New York where they were making instructional videos for a pharmaceutical company. And my dad was a doctor that was asked to be a consultant on this program. And then he ultimately uh, was in front of the camera and he was showing interview technique. Uh, and so we were taken up to New York. My, my dad took me with him to a soundstage and I watched the whole thing. And that was the first time that I've been in any kind of a television production area, and I was enthralled. It mm -hmm. just grabbed me and said, this is what I wanna do. And from that point on, this was in uh, early high school, from that point on, I set my sights on wanting to go into something having to do with television. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what yet, but it was something having to do with television. Meantime, parallel to this whole thing, I was very involved in my synagogue. My, uh, my parents also were involved. My dad was president of our congregation. My mom taught in the confirmation class with our rabbi. It was a small congregation in um, the northwest part of Baltimore. 
and I was connected to the congregation through the music. My cantor, Alvin Donald, was the cantor there for, I think, 30 years or so, and he and I had a very close relationship. I loved listening to him sing. He had a beautiful voice, and I found my spirituality through the music of Judaism. And so, again, this is part of the whole creative idea, uh, you know, that creativity is what connected me to things. So whether it was creativity through um, being enthralled with television production and what you can do with that art, or music and how music reaches the heart, um, I saw myself in that way growing up. So I was involved in the synagogue. That was important to me. That was really, um, that was my spiritual home. So... When I was uh, in high school, uh, after this program that my dad was involved in in New York, I, I started to figure out what, what could I do in television? And my dad had a patient who worked at the local ABC station in Baltimore. And uh, he connected me with him. And I worked out a, I guess a deal, so to speak, because I was in high school and you couldn't really do these things at that time in high school, but I became an intern at the local ABC station in the newsroom. And I was their first high school intern. And it was part of our cooperative education program at um, my high school, Pikesville High School, where I would go to school for half a day and then I would go work at the television station for half a day. And I loved it. That's where um, I first met and became friends with Oprah Winfrey and uh, a, a lot of the local television news people. And I started writing. I worked on the assignment desk. I was a gopher. I mean, I did everything, right? But uh, I would go out with reporters to watch them do their stories, and I was enthralled with that. And, uh, and it was the number one station right. in Baltimore. There, the anchors were Jerry Turner and Al Sanders, and they were local heroes. You know, at that time, I was a kid. I was enthralled by it. The glamour of television news was staring me in the face, and I just loved it. I loved it. So you had this internship before you arrived at Park School at Ithaca College. Exactly. I knew in 11th grade that I wanted to go into television news. So when I was looking for schools to go to for colleges, it had to be a college where I could hit the ground running right. in television. And most of the colleges, if you remember, were not like that. You had to do your liberal arts work for freshman and sophomore years. And right. maybe when you're a junior, you could get involved in the television production stuff but not at IC. Right. At Ithaca, from day one, you could be involved in the television station. And that is what uh, I loved about Ithaca. And so, in fact, when I got there, I sought out the television people. And I did radio too, but I uh, really focused on television. You know, Ithaca had a, I think it was a weekly television news show. And I became a reporter on that, became an anchor o over time. I ended up being, uh, I think, the assistant news director. Mm -hmm. I think Scott Benjamin was the news director right. at that time. Right. And, uh, and there were people who were I saw as they were going to go places at IC. Mary Rogus was a producer at the time, and she ended up, she was a few years older than me. She graduated, and she became a producer in television news. And there was someone, uh, Alan Krzyzewski. I don't know if you remember Alan. Alan was also about two years older than me in school. He was the anchor on the local television news program at, at Ithaca College. He ended up graduating, went, going right to Chicago. Right. And now he's the lead anchor in the Chicago market. Lead WLS in, in Chicago. It was the ABC station. Right. Whatever that is. Right. Um, 
So Ithaca College was just an amazing breeding ground for, you know, television, television news, sports, weather people. I mean, you name it, you know, people succeeded when they were at IC. Well, for for our listeners, let me just share that I was, uh, I graduated the year before Cantor Shockett did uh, from the same program, and we were an ambitious lot, uh, that's for sure. We really wanted to perfect our craft and make an impact. So I want to get back to after you graduated from IC, and you became a reporter at uh, WJC? No, I actually became a reporter at WMAR-TV. Oh, the competitor. Yes. So what happened was, and this is an interesting story, uh, I was working while at IC. I would come home mm-hmm. and work at WJZ during vacations, summers, and you know I would get paid to be on the assignment desk or to be a writer and whatever it was in the newsroom. So I had this very long relationship with the people at WJZ. I mean, it was mm-hmm. really about six years mm-hmm. that I had relationships with people there. And the news director at the time was a guy named Dick Rheingold, really wonderful guy who I, he liked me, I liked him. And I said to him, I was getting ready to be, uh, to graduate IC. And uh, I decided that I really wanted to set my sights on trying to get into Baltimore. And he said what he was going to try and do was create a reporter trainee position at WJZ. This was not something that has happened before. And they didn't know if they could do it. WJZ was owned by Group W, Westinghouse. And they had to go through their corporate channels. And he said it would take a while to figure out, but they would really try. In the meantime, another connection, because, you know, it's all about connections. My mom, who was an interior designer, was hired by the news director of WMAR-TV to design his home. Oh, there you go. So in the course of that relationship, you know, my mom said, well, my son wants to be a news reporter, Mm. and uh, could you meet with him? So I met with uh, John Butte, who was the news director at WMAR-TV, and uh, we had a great conversation. He saw what I did. And by the way, I had won an award when I was uh, at IC, the Radio Television News Directors Association Award for, you know, reporting or something like that. It was... um, a reward award that came with a scholarship, and I was taken. I was sent with other student uh, winners to their convention in Las Vegas, and so here I was now an award-winning student reporter. And so John Butte at WMAR saw this. He also knew what I was doing at WJZ and that they were trying to come up with a reporter trainee position. He said, "Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to try and come up with a reporter trainee position too. What do you think about that?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "Hmm, okay, uh, that would be great." So now I had two options, neither of which jobs were had materialized yet, but they were things that the news directors were talking about. The job at WMAR-TV came through first, and John Butte offered me a job, and I went back to Dick Reinko, and I said, look, you know, WJZ is my home. This is where I want to be. It's the number one station in the market. WMAR at that time was the number three station in the market. Right. They had suffered a, a strike with the AFTRA organization years ago, and they never really recovered from that. But it was a news station, and it was on television in, in Baltimore, which was the 21st market at the time. Dick Reingold said, look, you know, we're, we're trying to get this job to happen, but it's not going to happen yet. And you have to decide, do you want a sure thing, in which case go to WMAR, or wait for us, but it may not happen. And so I decided to take the WMAR TV mm-hmm. job. Now, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So who knows what would have happened if I would have waited for WJZ. They ended up um, creating that reporter trainee position. And one of my friends, Jeff Salkin, uh, got the job. 
after I was already a reporter at WMAR. Um, he did very well at it, and he ended up m- moving to uh, another station and then ultimately to PBS, where he did his whole career. So it could have been that I might have gotten that job, and I would have stayed in television my whole career, perhaps. But when I went to WMAR TV, you know, my life changed for good and for bad. So it was, uh, it was an amazing thing to get a job out of IC. And I graduated a semester early. I graduated in the December of 83. But I was here, I was started as, started as a reporter in January of, you know, 1984 at WMAR TV on the air. And uh, it, that was one of the first most amazing things in my life was being on the air in Baltimore. So what kinds of stories did you cover? I covered general assignment news, and I would I worked uh, the weekend plus three days during the week, and I covered the evening news. So weekend, you know, I would come in at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I would work till 11.30 or something like that. And it was a lot of chasing of police and fire stories or packages that, you know, the assignment editor wanted me to cover, events that were happening, some stories that I created from my own contacts. But it was general assignment. I covered everything from standing on the middle of the Baltimore Beltway during a snowstorm reporting live to, uh, you know, an insurance commissioner's meeting where I had no clue what was going on (laughs) and I had to report on it, something very dry, to shootings and stabbings and things like that that happened. So the shootings and stabbings, did that become more and more of your coverage over time? Well, I didn't, I couldn't control what I covered, but it was the adrenaline certainly was up when I covered things like that. And I became very interested in police work through the work that I did as a general assignment reporter. I guess I should say that maybe I'm not alone, maybe most kids are like this, but when I was a little kid, I loved police officers, right? Mm. I, you know, I could spot a police car a mile away. I think it started when I was like I don't know, seven or eight years old, and a police car came into our neighborhood, which never happened, to, to, to go to someone's house to talk to them about something. And he was really nice to us. All of my friends, you know, we were kind of, you know, enthralled by the police car, and he turned on the shot siren for us. Oh and, gosh. you know, and who knows if that set a, uh, set a journey for me of in the back of my mind that, you know, police work, such a noble profession is something that is really important in society, but I always had a love of police officers. So take me back to that. So how old were you when you had that memory? Of- I'm guessing I was, you know, eight, nine, ten, something like that. Okay. And how did it make you feel seeing police come down the street? Yeah, I was enthralled by that. I, 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 I said, wow, you know, there's a police car in our neighborhood. You know, the only thing you really knew about police when I was growing up was what we watched on television. And so here, to have an interaction with a police officer in a positive way uh, was an immensely integral part of my childhood. It really affected me greatly. It influenced, I think, ultimately my life. So you connected with the benevolence and the majesty of the work that they did helping other people. Absolutely. And the, you know, the the equipment, the, the, you know, the lights and the sirens and all of that. Absolutely. I remember in the 1980s, although I wasn't in the news business then, a kind of a pejorative term that came about, if it leads, it bleeds. And that's what, when I lived in Washington, D.C., you put on any of the network affiliates, it was usually some shooting in D.C. or in Prince George's County or some other community, which unfortunately is a ratings grabber. 
but it does have a, a kind of an icky side to it. And did as a reporter, how did you relate to that? Well, that's very true. You know, WJZ, their news was called Eyewitness News. Mm -hmm. And the idea was, you know, we wanted to be first on the scene to witness, you know, the event and get those interviews and get as much great footage as you could of the, you know, the gory stuff. That's what that's what sells. That's where the ratings are. Mm -hmm. That was very much the way local news was then. And to some extent, it really has never changed. But where I was at WMAR-TV, Channel 2 News, uh, it was the same feel, you know, the our managing editor, our producers, it was all about what you just said, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. So the lead story was always something, had to be something new, right? It, uh, for the 11 o'clock news, we couldn't just go with what happened at in the 6 o'clock news. So mm-hmm. we were always looking for something to be the uh, the lead story for that night. And that was challenging. That was challenging. Um, it was really hard as a reporter to get into those scenes and feel good about yourself after interviewing someone who really had a, a, a very a crisis event. For example, I remember back, don't remember when it was, but I was a reporter. There was a murder-suicide mm-hmm. in uh, southwest Baltimore, and a teenager killed his girlfriend and then killed himself. And as you can imagine, the neighborhood was devastated. The family, of course, was devastated. And... It was a weekend. It was the only thing going on. And so our all three television stations were out there covering this event. I went out there. You know, we had to do the thing where we knocked on the door to see if we could get an interview with the family and ask those stupid questions. How do you feel? Right. right? Such a difficult thing to do. And basically, the whoever answered the door, I don't remember at this point, might have been the mother, slammed the door in my face, mm-hmm. you know, and said, get out of here. You know, get off our sidewalk. And of course, I, I did. You know, I, I was not the kind of reporter that really pushed that. And I decided at that story that we would just take some shots of the neighborhood. I did a stand up there in the neighborhood. And I think we may have interviewed some neighbors, things like that. But we really didn't get much. And I came back and the managing editor was um, not happy that I, I didn't get the story. Right. And that night on the news one or both of the other two stations actually got an interview with the grieving family. And my managing editor was just so upset with me. He read me the riot act of why I should have also gotten that story. And I think that was a turning point for me. I think I realized that I just didn't believe in the fact that television news had no ethics. Mm -hmm. And the ethics that I brought from my life growing up um, in my congregation as a you know spiritual person really wanting to help people and not cause hurt or pain was something that I couldn't justify in television news that really threw me so you were good at what you did but you had trouble with how others wanted you to do your work absolutely and I feel like the priorities of who I was as a human being and the priorities of what it took to be a successful television news reporter were not in sync. I really just dreaded, you know, getting called out on another one of those stories where I had to interview someone who had been through a crisis. But I did, I stayed with it. I really started to doubt what I wanted to do. I guess you would say I was getting burnt out in Mm -hmm. television news. It was also, I should say that surrounding this was the feeling that here I was, a 22 or 23-year-old 
in a major market television news station with people who have who had worked their whole careers to get to Baltimore. Okay. Photographers, news, other news reporters, and they did not take too highly about my being there. There were some people that really didn't like me because I got to Baltimore as my first job mm-hmm. and I was on the air. Mm-hmm. And that was a real challenge to try to prove myself that I could do this job. And I felt like there were some people, not everyone, there were some really good quality people there who were real uh, mentors to me, but then there were people who were waiting for me to screw up. And they tested me a lot. I remember one photographer just tested me all the time. And one time I feel like I I proved him, uh, I did the right thing. And that is, there was a stand-up that I had to do an an interview uh, in front of a a crowd marching by behind me, there was like a protest or something, and I was doing the stand-up, and he said, you have one shot to get this right, one take on this. Mm-hmm. And I did it. I did it in one take. And after that, he said, wow, you did a good job on that. And that was, to me, that was an amazing amazing feat because this was a guy who just, he was burnt out a long time ago. He didn't like the fact that he was this young kid as the news reporter, and he was the photographer, and he didn't think that I was up to the job. And so when he gave me that compliment, that was a real, uh, that was something that really um, was an important thing for me. And I, I really enjoyed that. So take me through the transition from being a reporter to joining the Baltimore City Police Force. When was that and what occurred and how did it all unfold? So it was in the, I guess, the summer of 86. When I, so I had been at the station for, you know, about three years, and I really was getting burnt out in television. Just, I just was not happy there. And I loved Baltimore so much, I didn't want to just go to another television station, get a job somewhere else as a reporter. I also looked very young Mm -hmm. as a television news reporter. And so I knew I was not anchor material. I was destined to stay a general assignment reporter. I did some, a little bit of anchoring, you know, the the morning news cut-ins, the 725 in the morning cut-ins from the Today Show or things like that, which I was able to do um, to sub for people, and I really enjoyed it. But those moments were few and far between, and I just knew I had to make a change in my life. I don't know whether it was a good thing or bad thing. Thinking about it now, I wonder whether I would have stayed in television my whole year, my whole career, gone to a another station and really been very successful in television news. Who knows? But I was trying to figure out what is it that I want to do with my life. And I really connected with um, law enforcement. There was something about law enforcement since it was in my blood for so long that it just, I loved police officers. I thought that what they did was make the world better. And here I was as a reporter reporting on people that made the world better, but I was certainly not contributing to that. And what I wanted to do was actually be of service to people. I wanted to do something with my life that felt good, felt meaningful, felt like I could actually make a difference in society. And in many ways, I felt I was called to be a police officer. Now, here I was, a Jewish kid growing up in Pikesville, trying to decide to be a police officer in Baltimore City, which Mm -hmm. is where I said, if I want to be a police officer, I want to go to Baltimore City because that's where stuff happens. And if I really want to see what it's like to be a police officer, I need to be in the inner city of Baltimore. Well, let me tell you, everyone thought I was crazy. (laughs) Everyone. My parents, my family, my friends, my rabbi. My rabbi especially said, why do you want to be a police officer? You're a television news reporter. You're going to take a huge cut in pay. You're a professional. Why would you want to be a police officer? 
And I think that that was the worst advice that anybody ever gave me, even though I love my rabbi and he was a huge influence on my life. I saw a police officer as being someone who was hugely important in society and not in any way a, a lower type profession than what I was doing. So your motivation became outward. It was to help others. It was to help others, absolutely. And, and to, to, to actually feel like I was doing something, making a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, there's one thing, reporting on a murder-suicide. There's another thing, actually being at the scene, helping someone through that and investigating that. And I didn't want to just hold a microphone and stand behind the police tape anymore. I wanted to be on the other side of the police tape. So what was training like? When I set out to be a police officer, I had to go through so many hurdles. The biggest was to convince other police officers that I was there to actually truly become a police officer, not to report undercover on them. That was a huge hurdle for me. I actually had met with, I went to meet with the commissioner of the Baltimore City Police Department when I was still a reporter and I was thinking about this. I made an appointment with him and here I am, a television news reporter, I could do that, Right. right? He gladly saw me brought me into his office and I said to the commissioner, you know, I'm thinking about becoming a police officer, but I would like to actually, well, actually what I said to him is I'm thinking about becoming a public information officer. Okay. So what I was thinking about was as a journalist, a natural journey for a journalist could be to go into government work to be a public information officer, Mm -hmm. a spokesman. Mm -hmm. To be a spokesman for a police department was something that I said, oh, this would be a great next step for my career but I don't want to be a civilian spokesman like most of them were. I wanted to actually be a police officer and see what it was like to be on the street, to have a taste of that, and then to ultimately go into public information. I had become friends with the spokesman in Baltimore. Dennis Hill was the spokesman for the Baltimore City Police Department, uh, really a nice guy that I enjoyed working with. He knew that I was interested in this. And so when I talked to the chief or the commissioner, I said, you know, I would love to be a spokesman for the department ultimately. What would you think about me joining the Baltimore City Police Department, going through the academy, being on the street for a year or so, and then moving into public information? And he said, I'd love it. Let's do it. Let's make this happen. And we shook on it. Uh And uh, it was then, after that, that I decided to actually jump into this, you know, crazy idea, again, against the wishes of everyone that I knew. And when I joined the academy... Everyone there in my class and in the academy, the instructors, all thought I was there to report on them. Mm-hmm. They really did. But meantime, David Simon was actually doing undercover work with the homicide unit in Baltimore at the same time that I became uh, a recruit in the department. So so let's talk about David Simon. So sure. David Simon was a reporter, uh, I believe came out of University of Maryland, was a reporter for The Sun. He was a reporter for The Sun. He was covering, I think, general assignment news or crime news. We probably were on a lot of scenes together, and he uh, ultimately went, kind of embedded himself in Mm -hmm. the homicide unit in Baltimore City Police around the same time that I became a recruit, and he worked with them for a a number of weeks, maybe months, and then he ended up creating this multi-part story for for, uh, Baltimore Sun about life in the homicide unit. Which probably was adapted to the television show. First, he wrote a book, right? Oh, okay. He wrote a book first, uh, Homicide Life on the Street, and then it became the television show, which was hugely popular. And most people will probably, most well, most will remember um, HBO's The Wire, which ran for, I think, five or six seasons, won a lot of awards. Actually, yeah. it's my favorite show. Yeah, that came out of, after Homicide Life on the Street, that was 
that was his big hit. And, you know, he's a wildly successful writer and producer, director, Hollywood now, and I'm a canter. So there we go. But but how did, so, so about him and you're, you're now a beat cop. Mm -hmm. Did he get it right? Was it stylized? I mean, how, how was your experience firsthand uh, how did it measure up to how he portrayed it, perhaps in his writing or in his TV shows? Well, I'm not really sure because I didn't ever work as a detective or work in homicide. I was really a patrol officer, and so he was focusing in on, you know, the investigative side of right. law enforcement. I I think it was pretty realistic. I mean, the way that his show Homicide Life on the Street portrayed police work and the patrol side of things mm-hmm. um, was so real that I actually couldn't watch it when I was a police officer. I remember there was a shooting uh, on the television show of a police officer. And, you know, I had been involved in a shooting of a police officer when I was on the street. And it it just, I had to turn it off. I I couldn't watch it, it was too realistic. So I wanna stop you there and I'm trying to picture, because I remember you from college, you were a, a tall skinny kid. Yeah. From Pikesville, Maryland, Jewish enclave. And I'm trying to picture, has this guy ever shot a gun before? <laughs> Did you ever shoot a rifle or a pistol? Before Not before you... I was in the police academy. And I actually ended up being pretty good. I was a good shot. Never had to shoot while I was on duty. But, you know, in the academy, I was, uh, I actually enjoyed it. We shot with a 38 caliber, caliber handgun and a shotgun. That's, that's, what, that's what we used back sure. then. I really think that David Simon hit it on the head when it came to understanding police work. And that's why I think his writing and his television shows were so successful because it was real. It was true to life. And it's just funny that, you know, here we are, we were both reporters. He was doing the undercover thing. I was not undercover. I was really trying to be a police officer and they thought I was undercover at the academy, but I did well at the academy. I graduated um, very high in my class. I became the speaker for the, for the, you know, our graduation, our academy graduation. And I had said to the commissioner before I graduated, I said, I really want to be assigned to the Eastern District of Baltimore because I had become friends with a lot of police officers while I was a reporter there. I actually did a story about these officers in the Eastern District, and I rode with them for a few nights and to do a little bit of a, uh, it was a, a package on how frustrating it was to be a police officer on the street during that time when there was a lot of shootings and stabbings. Uh, I think at the time, uh, an infant was killed by a stray bullet in Baltimore, and I was trying to show how frustrating it is to be a police officer trying to deal with all this. And so I became friends with these officers in the Eastern District, and they knew that I wanted to be a police officer. They trusted me. So I wanted to be assigned into their squad, and I, in fact, I was. When I graduated, that's where they assigned me. My field training was in the Western District, where all the riots were in the last couple of years. Well, that's that was where, that's where the, the wire was based on the Western, the yeah. Western D. Right, exactly. Western D. And that's where I did my patrol work for the first six months. As a patrolman, did you connect with your constituents, and how so? Well, I did feel that, you know, I was in a very different place. I was in the inner city of Baltimore, right? And I was from the outskirts of Baltimore in the white, affluent Jewish area mm-hmm. where I grew up. And here I was in a very difficult area where people struggled to live. There was not a lot of wealth in that area. Uh, there was a lot of crime. And I don't know that people saw me as someone who was there to help them as much as we were we were the police we were the we were the 50 is what they called us but that had to be terribly frustrating for you as being somebody who wanted to help people it was terribly frustrating it was really challenging to be a police officer there i learned a great deal in the 
whatever, a year and a half, two years I was on the street or I was with the department, but it, it was hugely frustrating because although I was able to make a difference, I feel like in some cases, some domestics and things like that, I was mostly chasing crime. Right. You know, I was, there was a huge amount of drugs in that area. We would do car stops all the time and find drugs. We would lock people up for that. There were shootings and stabbings we would chase. It was a tough area to be a cop in. It was a really tough area. And I didn't know anything else about police work other than Baltimore City. But I, it, now that I know other departments, it was a challenging department to be an officer in. And it's too bad that I ended up in Baltimore. You know, again, when you think right. about all these different choices I had along the line, along the way, I could have, when I, and we'll get back to it, when I left Baltimore City, I went back to television. I could have gone to another police department, maybe gone to Baltimore County or here even in Fairfax County, where I might have done my whole career and moved up the ranks because the department, you know, was much easier to be a police officer in, in some of those areas. Next time on the Tightrope with Dan Smolin podcast, Part two of our conversation with Michael Shockett begins as he recalls his worst day in uniform. And so when the suspect fired, he hit Tom in the back of the shoulder, at the upper part of the shoulder, right above where the kind of police vest covers. And Tom, you know, the shots ring out. One of the officers on the, or both officers actually fire into the house, but, you know, neither hit anybody somebody's on the radio, shots fired, officer, you know, down. Tom is screaming and running. I've been shot. I've been shot. My first inclination was to point my shotgun at the direction of the, of where the bullet, where the shooting came. But I did not have a vision of the suspect. He was, he had shot from inside the house. There was a brick wall kind of between me and him. So I didn't have a target. So instead I grabbed Tom and helped him we ran down the sidewalk and around, tried to get him out of any kind of further line of fire, where he ended up ultimately collapsing at the end of the building. The shooting of Shockett's partner, Tom, and the psychological trauma that followed forced him to question his continued work as a police officer. So at 28, Shockett made another career pivot, but this one, which combined his quest for spirituality and helping other people, brought him to an unlikely and wonderful place where he does the work of his dreams. Check out past episodes on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts by keywording The Tightrope with Dan Smolin. And if you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and post your comments like listener Denise who writes that the episode she listened to resonated with me on many levels. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Denise. Don't forget to subscribe to our mailing list by visiting dansmolin.com. And please suggest topics that you believe we should tackle in future episodes by writing us at info at dansmolin.com. From Washington, D.C., this is The Tightrope. I'm Dan Smolin. And do remember this, our best days lie ahead. Have a great and successful week, everyone. 